that's I've been relatively quickly and, and I'm you know only uh, being out of work for really like a few weeks basically what would have been paternity leave um, and while it's not the exact same in terms of income like he's continued to provide with I, I think really orchestrating the circumstances and being with Angie's parents um, which is something that uh, we really enjoy it's been it's been great um, and it's given us the opportunity to really help them in a lot of ways that we wouldn't have otherwise and um, and so I, I, th I think we can see God's grace through all of that. Um, and uh, I think that, you know, when we participate in where God wants us to go, uh, then he's going to provide for us. And so I think that's part of the reason why I was never really, you know, you know, not stopping, stop, yeah, never, it was never discussed, so, you know, about stopping our giving potentially or anything like that. Um, or even and, decreasing it. Yeah, or even, even really decreasing it because, um, you know, we know, we know that God's with us, our company is going to continue to be with us, and he has continued to provide for us during this time, and uh, ultimately we definitely are um, looking forward to it. Surprise ending. To be continued. To be continued. All right. Hey, good morning, City Light. How are we doing? Good morning, good morning. Uh, I love uh, their story and what we're gonna be talking about a lot today. What they shared and what you see on the screen is how giving from is more important than giving to. We're gonna talk a lot about your heart this morning. So we're gonna do some heart work and some heart surgery. Uh, if you're new, I just wanna say welcome. Uh, so glad that you're here. God has an amazing reason for you being here, that you would know him and know how much he loves you. We'd love to help you get connected or kind of take that next step in your walk, in your spiritual journey, whatever it might be, wherever you are. So please come talk to me after or, or go to our connect table. We'd love to hear more about your story. We also wanted to say hey uh, to our DC friends. Uh, a long story short is that we are transitioning space uh, for the DC location and working out what, what is best next and how the Lord's going to open a door uh, for our work in the city down there. So they're joining us online and in person today. And the Lord is, is surely opening a door uh, for where we're going to be next for them. So we're super excited about what God is doing. God always has a plan. Amen. Amen. All right. That's what I always tell myself. When I don't have a plan, God has a plan. It's amazing. Uh, God already knows what he's going to do. And so we're really excited about what God is doing there, uh, what people we've seen come to faith, the things that he's doing in that city. And we're excited for the fact that he's obviously giving us uh, the right space at the right time in accordance with his goodwill for us. And so we want to welcome them. Uh, also, I want to let you know of a few things that are coming up, super important. This Saturday is our advanced commitment night. And so in light of Every Way Initiative, it, uh, commitment day is the 21st for a Sunday morning experience. If you want to help lead the way and take the first step, so to speak, bring your brick, lay the foundation of what God is doing. This Saturday, we're going to be gathering at 6.30 here just to worship, to pray, to seek the Lord, and to have our leadership take the first step in making the two-year commitment. And so please come join us then. Also, we're going to be doing baptisms on Easter, which is going to be awesome. So please, uh, if you're here today and you don't even know what being baptized looks like or means, if you're a follower of Jesus and haven't been baptized yet, we'd just love to help you take that next step or learn what does it even mean to trust Jesus and be baptized. And so please uh, email John or let me know. We would love to help you walk that step, take that step uh, and be baptized on Easter. Easter is going to be an amazing day and we're super excited about that. We have an opportunity to do uh, 
uh, an amazing work in our community. On the 27th, we're doing a pop-up shop, which is a uh, wholesale, all things go. Uh, please bring some uh, goods. We're gonna have a list of those on a newsletter, whether it's kitchen utensils, clothes that are nice, uh, things like that that might not be too worn out. Uh, food, whatever it might be. Uh, we're inviting the whole community here and we're gonna have a day where we celebrate uh, them and where we work together to provide what is needed. So please join us on the 27th and for the next couple of weeks be bringing in things that we could give away that day. As well, one more thing. I know it's a lot, but this is super important. The next few weeks are gonna be packed, okay? Uh, on Saturday, April 3rd, the day before Easter, at 3.30, we're having a Easter outreach, egg hunt, celebration, gospel presentation, all things fun and pastel-colored event uh, here. That's what, when we were in staff meeting, the girls were just so excited we were gonna do pastels. And I was like, wow, like, where are our priorities, okay? Jesus is gonna be preached to people, all right. Uh, but we'll have pastels, which I guess is a great thing. So join us on Saturday, April 3rd. Uh, and so mark these things in your calendar. We're gonna have lots of opportunities to serve our community, to serve alongside our community, uh, to preach the gospel, to bless our neighbors, uh, and to see you get baptized and take the next step in your walk with Jesus. And so these next few weeks are going to be action-packed, and I'm excited about it. So mark it in your calendar. Okay, today is our third week of our Every Way initiative series. And for the next three more weeks, two more weeks after today, we're gonna to be discussing what does it look like for God to be working and moving in this congregation and how can we move forward? As we talked about, let's live by design, not by default. And so we're talking about the design for what God has for us. Today, the title of the message is The Secret of Contentment. The Secret of Contentment. The Secret of Contentment. Turn to your neighbor and say, let me tell you a secret. Let me tell you a secret. Turn back to them and say, you can be content. You can be content. The secret of contentment. What we're gonna see is how contentment is the key that unlocks generosity. Contentment is the key that unlocks generosity. Not just with finance, but with your lifestyle. Contentment is the key that unlocks generosity. As we said, as I said in the intro, we're talking about what you're giving from your heart more than what you're giving to. So the last couple weeks, we've talked about giving to. Mission, let's see the world changed around us. Yes and amen, and that is so, so important. But today, I wanna go on the inside. As we talked about what God wants to do on the outside, today we're gonna talk about what God wants to do on the inside. Today's about your heart. And I wanna help you, help you learn the secret of contentment. The secret of contentment. So contentment is the key that unlocks generosity. And as I was thinking about this and thinking about what the Lord might be saying to us and how we can kind of grab on this together, I thought of my uh, oldest son, Jalen, who always, always loves to have old keys. This is his thing. I, he loves to find old keys, use old keys. We've had to convince him, like, you cannot take our keys off of the thing, okay? Because who knows where they'll end up. So please, like, I'll, I'll find you old keys. You know, half the keys on your keychain probably right now you don't use. You probably don't even know where they go. You know, you pull out your keychain right now and you're like, I know, uh, let me see. There's probably about two of these keys I know what to use it for and the other ones I have no idea. You should count. You should pull out your keys and count. How many of these keys do I actually know where they go? Because I honestly don't know. Uh, and so we're always, Jalen loves to play with keys and I think this is part of making a kid feel like a grown up. Feels like, you know, I have a key. This makes me feel responsible, like I can get into something. Uh, but you know, the trick is with the keys that we give him, they don't give him access to anything. It's all pretend. 
His key can't open a door. His key can't open a snack cabinet, right? His key can't get him anything that he would want, and it can't get him anywhere where he wants to go. The key opens no doors for him. And this is what I want you to think about today as we think about success, recognition, praise, all the things that you're looking for in life. These are keys that are not opening the doors you want them to open. You're spending your life looking for these old keys and the old keys you get may make you feel like you're getting somewhere, but when you try to use it to open the door, it gets you nowhere. It gives you no access to the thing you're looking for. And no matter how much success, recognition, praise, and the worldly things that you accomplish, you come to realize that these keys that I'm accumulating open no doors that I want. And I wanna help you see today that the reason for that is contentment is the key that unlocks generosity. Contentment is the key that's gonna unlock purpose. Contentment is the key that's gonna unlock satisfaction and peace in your life. It's contentment. It's contentment. Contentment to live with purpose. To lay down at night and know you spent the day well. You guys know that film when you lay down on your pillow and you feel like, that's a good day. I did what I was supposed to today. I did the best I could today. I tried to honor the Lord in everything today. No, I wasn't perfect today, but you guys know the feeling when you lay down on your pillow and you're like, today, I did my very best. I stand before the Lord good about today. That's contentment. And contentment's something only God can provide. Contentment is to feel secure in the present and to feel hopeful about your future. How many of you right now feel secure in the present and hopeful for the future? Secure in the present and hopeful for the future. This is what I want for us because it's contentment that'll be the key to unlocking a generous lifestyle and to unlocking the life of purpose and peace that God has for you. It's contentment. So giving from is greater than giving to. Today we're gonna talk about the motivation within you instead of the mission around you. Today's about the motivation within you, not the mission around you. And so let's talk about the secret of contentment. Let's look at verse seven. We're gonna be checking Corinthians chapter nine, seven through nine. He says this, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. So here's where we're gonna start with this phrase, all sufficiency in all things at all times. All sufficiency in all things at all times. Do you know what the word for that whole sentence is? Contentment. One word to summarize what he's saying there, contentment. Having all sufficiency in all things at all times is contentment. A state of satisfaction and a state of peace. This is what God is promising to deliver to you if you live a certain way to him. So here's the secret, you ready? Let me lean in, I won't whisper it to you, but here's the secret to contentment, write this down. If I want to be content, I must trust God's intent. If I want to be content in my heart, then I must trust God's intent for my life. God's intent, which is God's intention towards me, God's purpose towards me, God's plan towards me. I must believe and trust. His intent is to supply what is needed in the moment that it is needed. 
that God's intent to me is to always take care of me. His intent to me is to deal with me as his child because I have trusted and believed in his son and I'm a part of his family. His intent to me, Romans 8, 28, is to do what is best for me. His intent to me is to make me more like Jesus. His intent towards me is to make all grace abound to me. This is God's intention towards you. And if I want to be content, I must trust God's intent. I must believe that verse eight isn't a theory or a hypothetical situation, but it's true that God's intention towards me is to make all grace abound so that in every situation, I would have what I needed at just the right time I needed it. This is God's intention toward you. And if you lack any trust in what God intends for you, you will struggle with contentment. If you're lacking trust that God is able to supply what you need when you need it, then you will lack contentment and you will scramble and manipulate your situation to try to obtain it. If you lack trust that God intends good things towards you, that as a matter of fact, God is a good father, he takes care of you, that if you lack any trust in that, you're going to scramble and not be content. So here, what I want you to see today from this passage as we kind of build a foundation for the rest of the scripture here is that if I wanna be content, I must trust God's intent. And if I don't trust God's intent, I will not be content. I must learn that I must believe this about my future, that God's intent in my present situation is to supply what is needed and to direct my path into my future, that God's not scrambling, God does nothing last minute, God's not working on your situation in the moment because he's surprised that it happened that way. God's not surprised by what's happening in your life, everything is working according to plan because he is in control. And so now we begin to look at it and say, I can trust God and feel secure in my present because I know even if I don't feel like it, that God's intent towards me is to supply what I need. And I can trust God for my future because even if I don't see it, God's intent towards me is to lead and guide me. If I wanna be content, I must trust God's intent. And some of you have false thinking about God's intention toward you, about how God deals with you, about God, what God thinks about you. This is why Psalm 23 is so amazing. The first verse says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. Does anybody finish that? want. What a, you just stop right there. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If you play it out, just transliterate it totally. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack for anything. Now, what does that mean when I lack for something? What is going on? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. And then you read that verse and be like, I'm lacking something. I'm lacking what I want. I'm lacking what I think is what I need. And I want you to take that verse and you gotta play it into your life and look at this here in the scripture to say this is true and this is God's intent. This is what God is doing even if I don't feel it or understand it. You guys know how this works all the time when you're dealing with people's intent to say, if I know someone's intent, it helps me not to worry about their behavior as much. Right, so if I, or if I receive correction from a friend, who's always there for me and loves me, I receive that differently because I know their intent. If I receive a word of feedback or correction from someone that doesn't know me, that doesn't care about me, then I receive that differently because I, know their, I don't know their intent. Or think about this with kids or whatever to say, listen, I don't give you candy every time you ask for it. Why? Because that would not be good for you. 
that wouldn't be good for you or me. We would both be going, you'd be unhealthy and I'd be crazy, all right? This is exactly what would happen. I, I cannot give that to you because I want what's best for you, not because I don't want to bless you, right? And if the child begins to understand my intent, that my intent is to bless you, my intent is to love you, my intent is to care for you, my intent is to provide for you, there is nothing more I want than to make sure you are okay. And to say now, to take that back and say, okay, that's how we must begin to view God, to say I must understand his intent, because then when it feels like he's not giving me what I want or the thing that I think I need, I can go back to the foundation and say this, God, God is able to make all grace abound to me so that having everything I need at all times and in all places, I may abound in every good work. If I want to be content, I must trust God's intent. And listen, this is why, come on, this is why it's so important for you to be in the word of God, pursuing the Lord day in and day out. A sermon every week is not gonna give you sufficient information or revelation about the character of God to build a foundation that can handle the troubles of life. It won't do it. It is your relationship with God, God revealing himself to you through the Holy Spirit in you as you open the scriptures, that day by day you begin to build an understanding of what God's intent is towards you. You begin to build trust with who God is and what he feels about you. And then, because you have that relationship with him, you're able to handle all these different situations that come your way. You're able to be content because you know God's intent. You must build that into your life with him. And so this truth about the character of God is our foundation. And as we deal with that foundation, we're gonna build certain principles of life on top of that. So look at verse seven. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Man, I kept thinking about this. Decided in his heart. Decided in his heart. Decided in his heart. Where did the decision come from? In his heart. This takes all the rules and the principles that you could live by, that you can make decisions based off default. You just default to that and it shoves the decision right into the bottom of your heart. And it says, not what does the rules say, not does what 10% say, it says, what does your heart say? What do you wanna give unto the Lord from your heart? What kind of life do you wanna lead from your heart? What is your heart leading you to do? This is why today is about the heart. It's not about guidelines or does 10% work good or any of that stuff. He says, let each one give as he has decided in his heart. And you can apply this to everything in life. Let each one live unto the Lord as he has decided in his heart. Let each one sacrifice as he has decided in his heart. And for you and me to say, man, what's most important isn't the external act. It's what happened in my heart where was my heart when I did that? And here's a question I have for many of you is have you even gotten your heart involved in giving yet? For some of you, giving is head and hands. I mentally check it off because I feel like it's right. My hands write a check, they go online or whatever, but your heart never had anything to do with it. You didn't, you didn't get your heart involved. You played by the rules. You weren't living by design, but by default. Is your heart involved in your giving? Is your heart involved in your lifestyle or is it just your head and your hands? Here, write this down, this is important for us. Generosity starts with a desire in the heart, not a need in the world. 
This is why giving from is greater than giving to. That generosity starts with a desire in the heart, not a need in the world. Why? Because real generosity is an act of worship unto God. It's for him. It's a response to God's goodness to me that I freely want to give back to him and then I find some way to do that. But it doesn't start with a need in the world and that's how sometimes we're still motivated and we should be, right? We see people that don't have what they need. We should certainly be motivated by that. We cannot be hard to that. But generosity, real, pure, God-honoring generosity starts in the heart. It's a desire in the heart. And if you're only motivated by needs in the world, you're going to miss the true heart of what God wants for you. Generosity starts with a desire in the heart, not a need in the world. It is an act of worship unto him. This principle is so important. This plays out in, even in our worship and everything that we do to say, because let's say when the pandemic was really, uh, really, really, really bad in the beginning, and I know it still really got issues, but in, when, when, when nobody could come, we didn't have services or nothing. It was just everything was shut down. <clears throat> Uh, we would still bring a group, a smaller group, an appropriate size group according to the CDC here on stage and we would run a prayer and worship set. Nobody's in the room. Nobody's here. And so then the question became, who, do we, who are we worshiping for? And we learned to say, I come here for him. I don't care if there's anybody here. That's irrelevant. I come here for him. Right, and you learn to say, man, I don't, I don't, I don't feed off a crowd, nothing. Well, I'm here with five people, what are we doing? Man, we're here for him. The room can be empty, because it's him that we want. And the question began to be, can I engage in worship without anybody else here? Who am I here for? Is my heart here with him? And slowly but surely, the Lord began to mature us. And I really believe we've begun to make it to a place where we could say, yeah, yeah, we come here. And even when people start coming back, and we're still here for him. I come here for him and say, what is your, your generosity? Who's it for? What's it unto? What's the point? It's gotta be for him. It's a response to him. So this is what I so want for you, just pastorally, as, as, I, as, I help, as I help do what God wants to do in your heart and your life as we work together to become more like Jesus, that your heart would be fully surrendered to him and that your giving would simply be a sign, a symptom of a surrendered heart. As each one has decided in his heart. So how's your heart? What is your heart leading you to do? If your heart is the one making the decision, if your heart is the one leading the way, how happy is your heart in him? Here's something for you to consider. Generosity is most pure when it is from a happy heart and to the call of Christ. When you think about, man, how can I be a good steward? The, the purest version of generosity is from a happy heart, God loves a cheerful giver, and to the call of Christ the advancement of the kingdom, to serve the poor and the needy, to get the gospel out. And I think sometimes we default over here because it's easy to see that. And the world loves taking care of needs too. Not very Christian to love serving the poor. But to come back over here and to say, man, to do it as an act of worship, now that's where Jesus comes in. 
A happy heart, generosity is most pure when it's from a happy heart and to the call of Christ. And so what does that look like as you evaluate your own life? A happy heart. So here's what we want. If generosity is most pure that way, then we must have a happy heart. Look in verse seven. God loves a cheerful giver. You know why this is? Because God loves what God is, a cheerful giver. Man, this is amazing. God does not begrudge blessing you. God does not begrudge loving you. God did not have to save you. God did not have to die for you. God was not obligated to make you. God was not obligated to give you anything. God is not obligated to take care of you. God owes you nothing. But it is in his heart to cheerfully give and bless you. God loves what God is. And so when we begin to give with a happy heart, we are becoming more like our Savior. God loves what God is. Now, here, here think about this way. God loves a cheerful giver, okay? Just think about this. You and I, okay, no matter what it is or how you're, you and I will never miss out by doing something that God loves. Come on. You and I, will never, it will never be a bad decision to do something that God loves. It will never be like, well, it will never be too much to do something that God loves. God loves a cheerful giver. Let me read you this quote from a pastor, his commentary about, about this. It's so, it's so good. He says, it's hard to imagine a more precious promise than to be the personal object of God's love. All the world's acclaim, honor, and rewards given to all the philanthropists put together does not come close to the privilege of being loved by God. To say, my reward is a greater experience of God's love. Now remember, God doesn't love you because you give. God loves you because Jesus died for you and rose again from the grave. That's the only reason now that God expresses love to you through Jesus. Not because you earned it, not because you came to church today. God doesn't love you anymore because you showed up to church this morning. That, the God's love for you is bought by Jesus' blood. And that's how you experience God's love. But to say here now, I experience, I have God's love. But the, the question is now, am I experiencing God's love? And when I live this out, I experience the love of God in my life. Because I know God loves a cheerful giver. And so as I give cheerfully, I have access to, so to speak, it is a key that opens a door to a greater experience of the love of God that I would know him more deeply, that I would be more assured of his love for me, that I would be more confident in who he is to me, that I would understand his character more completely. And as I do that and live this way, I experience God's love more. I don't earn God's love, I experience it. I don't earn God's love, I experience it more. God loves a cheerful giver. And you say, man, I wanna experience more what it is to be loved by God. Then start giving with a happy heart. I love it, it says here, not reluctantly or under compulsion, which you could also say out of necessity. Not giving reluctantly, like, eh, I'm not sure. Or even out of necessity, like I have to, but cheerfully. Not reluctantly, not out of necessity, but cheerfully. Why, 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 why? Because it's an act of worship to him. It's, it's him. It's like, as I decided in my heart, in response to what you have done in my life, between me and you, God, there's this transaction taking place. And then once this transaction takes place, it gets manifest in the world around me. 
But it started here, me and him, me and him, me and the Lord, to say, you have done this for me, and oh, I'm so loved by God. I want to experience that more, and my heart wants to be happy in you. And so please, Lord, help me do that. And now I say, thank you so much, God, for what you have done. My heart, I decide in my heart, not by a rule, not by what the pastor said, but in my heart, I decide what I should give. And there's this transaction between me and the Lord. And then after that transaction takes place, then other people see it. It gets put out there in the world to serve and to bless and to care. But some of us are making the transaction between us and the world, between us and the church. When you give to the church, the transaction is between you and God. That's the transaction. The church, just we see the symptom of that. It's between you and the Lord. So out of your heart, give unto the Lord Okay, this is so important. I mean, you guys know, there's a story in, in Luke 21. Uh, you know, Jesus is sitting there watching all these people give and all these rich and different people are coming in. All the Pharisees, they're giving lots of money. A lady walks in and she gives basically two pennies would be the way to summarize that. And Jesus looks at his disciples and, and he says to them, she has given more than everybody else. Why? I mean, that math doesn't make sense. Two pennies isn't as much as more than two pennies. I mean, like $3, that doesn't make sense. You're like, Jesus, your math is bad. We have a math teacher, Brian, in the back. He said, Jesus, your math is bad. That's not how math works. That's not more, that's less. But what was, what was the transaction? The transaction wasn't between that lady and the synagogue, it was between that lady and Jesus. So when she gave him what she had decided in her heart, and as Jesus clarifies, all that she had, then Jesus says, that's what I love. That's what I love. And so to encourage many of you, you feel like you're just getting by. It's not the amount that God's concerned about. God doesn't need your money. God's not up there like, well, if they would only do this, then I could do this in the world. Man, God's not after that. He's after your heart. He's after your heart. And that your heart would be content and free from the love of the world, satisfied in Jesus. And that that transaction would take place between you and him. And though it may not feel like much to you, Though it may not look like much to the world, if it's sacrificially and if it comes cheerfully, God looks at it and he says, that's what I love. And so be encouraged in that this morning. So remember, if I wanna be content, I must trust God's intent. Now, to have a happy heart is an essential part of this reality, but you can't make a happy heart by yourself. You can't leave from here and say, I want a happy heart. That's not how it works. You need the Lord's help and supernatural impact. So look at verse eight. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Man, this is amazing. I love how clear he is in all things and at all times. In all things and at all times. Write this down. I can be content because God's provision is constant. Why? Why can I be content? I can be content because God's provision is constant. Now, here's where it is. I don't feel like it or see it. So now, do I know God's intent or not? Because when I don't see it, what do I fall back on? I either fall back on what I see with my eyes or what I know from the scriptures. I must know God's intent. I can be content because God's provision is constant, 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 constant. 
God's provision never changes towards you. It may feel like it changes. It may not look the same at all seasons, but God is always supplying to you exactly what is needed to do the very thing he has asked you to do. Never more, never less. God's provision is constant. It's constant in your life. God's provision for what you need financially is constant in your life. God's provision for what you need emotionally is constant in your life. God's provision for what you need spiritually and mentally is constant in your life. God's provision is constant, always. Therefore, I can be content because God's provision is constant. You should write this down. This is a, like, almost like a paragraph. I was like, every word of it is important. I always have what is sufficient, listen to me, for what God is asking me to do. Here it is. I can always be a giver because I always have a gift. All grace abounds to me so that I may abound in good works to others. Or leave it up there. You gotta write it down. I always have what is sufficient for what God is asking me to do. I always have what is sufficient for what God is asking me to do. I always have what is sufficient for what God is asking me to do. Not necessarily what I want to do, not necessarily what I think I should do, not necessarily what I hope to do, but what I have to do. I always have what is sufficient for what God is asking me to do. I can always be a giver because I always have a gift. Why do I always have a gift? Because God's provision is constant. It's not like God is providing for you one day and then takes a day off, even if that's what it feels like. You gotta know God's intent. God's provision is constant. I always have what is sufficient for what God is asking me to do. This needs to be like a mantra for your life. When you begin to complain or get overly worried or anxious to say, I have what is sufficient for what God is asking me to do. And if I, must, if I don't have it, I must not need it for what God is asking me to do. And maybe sometimes God is asking me to suffer. Maybe sometimes God is asking me to not experience the things of the world that I think that I need. Maybe sometimes God is asking me to sacrifice and I don't have the things that other people would say I need. I always have what is sufficient for what God is asking me to do. Not what I hope to do, not what I think I should do, not what I need to do, what I have to do. I always have what is sufficient where God has had. I can always be a giver because I always have a gift. This is where your mindset just changes. It's not about what you make. It's not about any of those things in your life. It's not about what you think you have or don't have. God's provision to you in Christ is constant. I can always be a giver because I always have a gift. You need to start thinking that way. Why? Because you're doing really great or whatever. No, because God's provision is constant towards you. I can always give because I always have a gift. I always have something that God has given to me. Look at that, verse seven, or verse eight. God makes all grace abound to me, you know, skip that middle part, so that I may abound in every good work. Why? God provides what I need so that I may provide what other people might need. God abounds in grace to me so that I can abound in good works to others. This is how God works to say his provision for you is constant. You always have a gift you, always, you can always be a giver because you always have a gift. Now, some of you may hear that and say, hey, that sounds real nice, but it sounds like a dreamland. Have you ever talked to somebody who doesn't have enough money to pay the rent? Nice preacher talk. Sure. Woo! Yeah, God's provision is constant. Sounds great. I love that. I love the alliteration, content and constant. That doesn't change my bank account. That doesn't change my struggle, how about you like walk around somewhere and start telling everybody that? 
God had lots of questions for that. Well, let, me, let, me, let me show you something. The same guy, Paul, who wrote 2 Corinthians 9, is the same guy who wrote Philippians 4. Some of you know where I'm going already with this. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. The same guy, same guy, wrote both of these statements. So he wrote 2 Corinthians 9. God, God will give you everything you need every time you need it, basically. Having all sufficiency in all things at all times. Woo, yeah, preacher talk. But that same guy wrote Philippians 4. This is what he says. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In, in, every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, of abundance and need. And this is the verse that gets misused all the time, but here's the context. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What does that verse mean? That verse means I can be content when I don't have what I think I need. That's what that verse means. What is he talking about? Contentment. He's saying, I have learned to be content when I don't have enough food to eat. I have learned to be content when I am getting beat and struggling. I have learned to be content under persecution. I have learned to be content when I don't have much and when I have a lot. I have learned to be content in low or high. I have learned to be content in all things. Why? Because I can do all things, namely be content through him who strengthens me. Through Christ. So the secret to real contentment is just one word. It's Christ. The real secret is Christ. The secret to contentment is Christ. Look at this to say, okay, the sufficient, if you're looking at the scripture here, so I wanna give you that and say, obviously, 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 some things are really difficult. And you think about Matthew 6, 33, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and I will supply all these other things to you, namely uh, shelter, food, clothing, all those things that he lists in Matthew 6. And then you look and you say, okay, well, there's Christians who die all the time around the world right now because they're hungry. So now what do I do? But what does it say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, meaning you will have what is needed to do what God is asking you to do for as long as he needs you and wants you to do it. And when that time is up, you won't have it or need it anymore. And with faith and hope in Jesus, then it won't matter because now you will be with him and you'll be in heaven supplied everything you need. This does not mean that you won't suffer, that you won't face need. It just means that as long as you are on this earth with God's purpose for your life, God will supply exactly what you need to do exactly what he is asking you to do at every moment. And when that time is over, then he will call you to himself. And it might be very painful. And it might involve a lot of struggle. But God's provision will be constant. We're not living in hypotheticals here. We're living in the real world. And this truth is still true. What does sufficiency mean? It means I have what I need to do what God is asking me to do. To seek first the kingdom of God. And then trust him to supply everything else. So the secret of contentment is Christ. So look at this from the, from, the, from the scripture here. So you have verse eight, you have sufficiency in all things at all times. That's contentment, that's great. Well, just tracking, where does the contentment come? Where does the sufficiency come from? Go before, I will make all grace abound to you. So the sufficiency comes from grace. So contentment, real contentment, in all things at all times, which the whole world is looking after and what you and I are looking for too. Real contentment. Here, where does it come from? Grace. The grace that abounds to me allows me to have a, an experience of sufficiency in all things at all times. And where does that grace come from? Keep tracking it back. God. 
God is able to make all grace abound to me so that I may have sufficient, that I may have what is sufficient for me in this time. So you say, I want contentment and sufficiency in all things at all times. Where does that come from? It comes from grace. Well, where do I get grace from? I get grace from God. But I'm doing the process wrong to say, I want contentment. And so I'm trying to manufacture enough money and stuff in my life to bring stability so that I can have security. I want contentment, so I'm trying to get enough praise so I feel validated in my life. And so I'm trying to pull from these places to get contentment, to make people say certain things about me or to feel a certain way about myself or to go all these things and to say the secret to contentment comes from a place called grace. It's grace. And where does grace come from? The only supplier of grace in the universe is God. The real supply of grace in the universe comes from God. And some of us are just doing the process wrong. So here's where I wanna close with this. Look at this, these three words. And God is able. God is able. God is able. God is able. God is able to take care of all of your heart. God is able to take care of all that you need. God is able to take care of everything you love. God is able to take care of your present and your future. God is able in all things and at all times. God is always able. God is never confused, never frustrated, never upset about how things are working out. God is never, ever, ever not able to do what he wants to do in your life. So if you trust God's intent and then you believe in God's ability, you can be content because God is able to take care of you. God is able to provide for you. God is able to love you. And most importantly, as you've seen in the gospel of Jesus Christ, God is able to save you from all of your sin. So think about it with me now. If I trust God to save me from all of my sin, if I trust God, his death and resurrection to be the payment for my sin so that when I stand before God, I'm approved by him and I enter into heaven forever instead of the other option, which is to be punished and to enter into hell forever. So at that crux, we're all gonna stand before the Lord and we're gonna face him and all of our sins are gonna be exposed before him. That's where your life is headed. This moment, this moment before the, before the Lord. And you're gonna see him and he's gonna see you. And in that moment, you'll either enter into paradise forever with him, forever, or you'll have to pay for your own sins by entering into a place called hell forever. That's the moment your life is going to right there. And to say there are those of you in the room who have put all your eggs in the basket of Jesus. You say, I know my life is headed towards that moment. I know it. And I know I'll be completely undone before him. And my only hope in that moment is Jesus. So I trust him. I trust him for that moment. 
I trust God's intent to make good on his promise that my faith in him will be enough. And your entire eternity hangs on that trust and that decision for him, with him, to trust him, no other name, no other way. You put all your eggs in that one basket, Jesus, for that moment. And then you just hold on to that moment and you bring it down to every little circumstance you have in life. And you say, if I can trust Jesus for that moment, then I can trust him for this moment. If I can trust him for that moment, then I can trust him for this moment. If I can trust his provision on that day, then I can trust his provision on this day. If I believe his promises then, then I can believe his promises now. And it would be so foolish to trust him with your soul, but not trust him for your day. To trust him with your soul, but not trust him with your money. To trust him with your soul, and not trust him with your family, with your path, with your life. And some of you are in this room and you haven't yet trusted him for that. You're not ready for that day. And if you stood before him now, you would have to pay for all of your sins because you haven't trusted in Jesus. And I'm here to tell you today, everything else is secondary. Everything else that I said about how you should live, whatever, all that stuff, all that stuff. I want you to think about that moment to say you will stand before God and your sins will be exposed before him and your good works won't cover it and the fact that you came to church a few times won't do it and the fact that your parents were Christians will have nothing to do with it. None of that stuff will have anything to do with it. The fact that you were a decent person won't get you there. You're gonna stand before him, your sins will be exposed and you're gonna have to pay for them and the only payment for your sins is death separated from God forever in a place called hell. And the only hope for you is to trust in Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. And the Bible says to believe in him, to repent from your way of life, to trust and turn to him, to follow Jesus, and you will receive the promise of eternal life. And on that day, you will have hope and life. Today's not about your money, it's about your heart. Is your heart happy in him and have you trusted him? Let me pray for us. Let's respond to the Lord. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for everything that you have done for us. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness towards us in Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, for saving us through faith in Christ. We thank you that your provision is constant. I pray for the spiritual, supernatural power of contentment to fill the hearts of your people. 
that we would trust you, that we would believe you, that you are who you say you are, that you will do what you say you will do, that your provision is constant, even if I don't feel it or, or see it or understand it. Give us a heart of contentment, Lord, in you. And may we live a generous and free, surrendered lifestyle because of that. Lord, we love you. We honor you. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. And we're going to sing uh, and just take some time to respond unto the Lord, whatever that means for you, to get on your knees. The altar is always open. Just don't go through the motions, please. Just respond to him, what he's saying to you.